0: We all carry this element of femininity inside of us, no matter how we identify. How can we bring that forward? How can we listen to that aspect of ourselves? And how also can we pay attention to what the elder women are saying? If you are in a position of leadership, how do you listen to the generations that came before you in order not to make the mistakes that they made, in order to bring their wisdom to the forefront? How do we recultivate a culture of listening and sharing among the generations and particularly with respect to our elders in order to have a more whole leadership. So when I think about feminine leadership, I'm thinking about a more complete leadership, one that engages many different aspects of the totality of ourselves, the harmonic dance that is the masculine and the feminine together inside of each of us and outside of us.
1: Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world.
2: In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on earth.
1: I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shana Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten.
2: Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. It is such an honor to be on this journey with you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming in and having these conversations with us. This community is really valuable. We are women who are here, we are listening to our inner voice, we are doing our inner work, and we are helping reinstate feminine consciousness on this planet in a time of great transformation. You, me, Shana, and all of our guests are a part of the sisterhood doing this work. And if you're enjoying this process, if you're enjoying our podcast, please leave us a review. Leaving us a review helps us keep going. It helps us bring on more guests and to continue to do this work. So please go ahead and leave us a review. And today, we are interviewing Naomi Katz. Naomi is an educator and the co-founder of Her Wisdom a nonprofit organization dedicated to cultivating the authenticity of women's leadership. She is the author of Beautiful, Being an Empowered Young Woman. And she has worked with women and girls for over 20 years. Inspired by the indigenous practices of the women of the earth, Naomi has traveled the world studying ancient wisdom. Naomi's work bridges her experience as a Western educator and all that she has received from her teacher Carmen Vicente, a medicine woman and spiritual leader from the Andes Mountains. Naomi today talks about her experience with her teacher. We talk about the importance of sinking back into nature's rhythms and honoring our cycles as women. She has such a beautiful intellectual and embodied way of speaking and I loved this interview. I hope you enjoy, and let's get going.
1: Hi, Naomi. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Where are you located right now? I am speaking to you from a
0: small village called Shacharut, which is deep in the south of Israel in a very, very, very barren desert landscape.
1: Yeah. And there's an interesting time going on in Israel right now. Always. So thank you for joining us.
2: So Naomi, before we started recording, you were sharing a little bit about your journey meeting your teacher. And I would love for you to share that with us here. Sure.
0: It's actually interesting because it's a difficult story to share because of how personal it is and how intricately connected my encounter with Karmita
1: has been with my development as a human being. Can you describe who you were before you met your teacher? I know there's so much conversation around when you're ready, the teacher will come. So paint us a picture. What yeah. were you like? You know, what were you looking for? What were, where were you at in your life before you ended up meeting? Carmen or Carmita?
0: I would say that I think maybe that's right, that when you're ready, the teacher will come. But I think that the meeting of Carmita was actually kind of a little bit later in the process of the kind of transformation that I think you're asking about. So basically, I was born in New York City. I grew up in Long Island and I grew up in a very intellectual, intelligent environment where my education, like the education that most people receive in the West, was very focused on the development of my mind and my intellect and being intelligent in school was really important and really valued. And so that came relatively easily for me and I was able to succeed in school and kind of meet the expectations that people had of me. And, and that was good. You know, I felt good in my life. I felt like I, I was who I was being asked to be. But that wasn't necessarily who I wanted to be, which is true also for many of us, that we take this journey as young people and we sort of meet the expectations that our culture provides for us. And then at some point we stop and we think, is that actually where I want to go? Is that actually who I want to be? So like the rest of us, I went through a moment like that or a long moment like that. And I think that the only in retrospect was I able to really look at it and understand what happened. But in the, in the moment, obviously, it was a difficult moment. You know, the, the transition that, any transition that we go through that takes us from a place that's familiar to a place that's unfamiliar or even unknown is painful, can be really painful. And so I had an experience like that in my 20s when I, I left New York I moved to California. And I moved to California to do a doctoral degree. And that was the natural continuation of the education that I had received. And about halfway through the first semester, I understood that this doctoral thing is not for me, that I had been teaching before that, and that I am much more built for being in ongoing interaction with people rather than being in ongoing interaction with books, even though I really like to read and I also write, but I am a person who enjoys and benefits from interaction with people. We all do, but some people like it more than others. I'm one of those people who like it a lot. And... When I chose to leave the doctoral program, at the same time, I had found this one really amazing gem at Berkeley, where I was studying, which was the dance department. I grew up dancing my whole childhood, mostly ballet, and then in college, I discovered African dance which I felt really connected to as well. And then as a young adult living in New York, I discovered modern dance, which also was kind of like throw away the ballet shoes and the leotard and move more freely. And then when I went to Berkeley, I had the great privilege of studying with someone who had been a very longtime student of Martha Graham and was in this moment of my life of of really grounding into my body. And that experience of, even though I had been dancing my whole life, the experience of, I knew I was gonna quit the graduate program and so dance was the main thing that I was doing you know I was like working in order to be able to support myself dancing and so I had this time of dancing very intensively which was really powerful and really meaningful to me and in that experience was able to connect to other elements of my embodied self especially my relationship with nature at the same time as I was in this big dance Vibe in my life. Friends of mine were really interested in sustainability and were reading a lot about sustainability, and I started to read a lot about sustainability. And long story short, one of those friends went and lived on a farm in Northern California and a vegetable farm and an antique apple orchard. And I went to visit him there a bunch of times. At, and later, I also lived at this farm. And just in this experience of of returning to my body, I also had the experience of reinvigorating my relationship with nature. And that was really powerful. And then, a bunch of years after that happened, I first encountered Karmita. I was teaching, at, at this point I was living in Israel. Um, the journey also of coming to Israel is part of the story because I grew up in a Jewish family where we weren't religious, but we were definitely very culturally connected. And I always understood that there was something more to this culture that I was connected to, that it wasn't just about, you know, every once in a while going to synagogue or having Friday night dinners with my grandparents, which were regular aspects of my life. But there wasn't so much of a spiritual element to it. There was a very strong family element to it. There was a very strong cultural element to it, but I didn't feel any kind of like deep experience from the experience of prayer. And only many years later, when I have, now that I have had many other experiences with prayer, do I understand that what was happening for me then wasn't really prayer. It was, it was more maybe reading texts that someone else had written that are now called prayers. But, but basically, in my relationship to myself and my identity and my origin, I came to live in Israel as a, in kind of a journey back to my own indigeneity. The people, the tribe that I am a part of, the people that I come from, come from this land, come from this part of the world. Other peoples also come from this part of the world. And that's part of why there's so much conflict here. And that's a story unto itself. But I came here and I speak the language of this land, even though it's not my first language, because of my own journey to my indigenous self and to understanding my personal relationship to the cycles and to the elements and to the lineage that I come from and also to the way that we live the cyclicality of life. What do we celebrate? What are these holidays that mark different moments of the year? And so I had already been in an inquiry around this in an understanding and an exploration of this particular element of myself and my heritage and my identity and then I had the good fortune of being invited to a sweat lodge that Carmita was going to be running at the same time that I was finishing my studies in herbal medicine. I I felt like clinical Western herbalism, which is what I had studied, wasn't the thing that I was looking for. It wasn't really getting to the depth of the relationship between humans and the way that the elements, not just the plants, but all of the elements and natural elements of life can support our health and our well-being. And so, and I had a feeling, I don't really know why, but I had a feeling that what I was looking for is was in South America. I think that's also because I had been there before and I, and I, at that time, spoke some Spanish, now I speak a lot of Spanish. And I feel a relationship to the land and to the people there, but that's just my own personal connection. Not necessarily because of any actual physical relationship, maybe some kind of metaphysical relationship. But anyway, so I was invited to the sweat lodge being run by this woman called Carmen Vicente who is a medicine, at that time I was told she's a medicine woman from Ecuador, and I didn't really know what that meant, a medicine woman from Ecuador. But I was interested in what she was bringing. I felt called to come to this event. And I asked the person who invited me if there was going to be a sweat lodge for women because at that particular moment, I felt like that was what I wanted to do. And sure enough, there was a day that was a women's workshop where half the day we had a conversation, asked questions. And then the second half of the day was a sweat lodge. And I went to this event and I felt like I had a glimpse as to what I was looking for. I didn't know exactly what I was looking for, but I felt like something opened up to me. And that was quite a while ago. And since then, I've had this amazing privilege of walking behind Carmita and learning from her and receiving many different aspects of the lineage that she carries, which is lineage from the high Andes mountains. And the work that she does is both work for men and women, and also work that's specifically for women. And she carries various altars, all of which she worked to bring to the people of the West the people of the city. She is very intentional in her arrow, in her message, in her focus, which is to take this work that she received in the community where she was born in the Andes Mountains and share it with with the people of the cities in a way that's appropriate for us. And so I have been able to witness that and to participate in that for quite a while. And that's been incredible. And that has helped give me structure and clarity to what I felt in an intuitive way around my own personal indigenous relationship to life, to the elements, to the courses and the cycles of nature.
2: I'd love to hear more about the cycles of nature and your own connection to the elements and earth and that revelation and how that shaped you.
0: So, one of the most powerful things that I have heard Karmita talk about is the way in which religion has taken what is essentially ours what essentially belongs to the people and and moved it to be something far away that requires an intermediary and that something is spirit and you can call it god or you can call it the great spirit or whatever you want to name this entity this being this force it's this Force of spirit and religion has done this job of separating people in spirit and then creating people, like in the case of Jewish people, rabbis or various other types of people who fulfill the role of bridging between human and spirit. Now, there have always been people who have done this work and they've had different names in different cultures throughout time, but they're the accessibility to spirit it's accessible to all of us. We all have the possibility of being able to pray, being able to express gratitude, being able to share from the depths of ourselves, to have really a conversation from one heart to the next. When those kind of conversations happen, there's a presence of a spirit there that's that's helping manifest that, I believe. Everyone obviously is allowed to believe whatever they want, but that's how I experience it. And through working with Karmita, I have had the opportunity to experience on a fully embodied level you know on on a mental level on emotional level on a physical level and on a spiritual level this relationship between myself and the elements myself and the cycles myself and the spirit and so that has been extremely powerful and it hasn't been something that i've learned about in school or that i have a degree in or that i took an exam on it's been years of sitting and listening and observing and absorbing and learning and unlearning because you know when we want to know something today in the west we have a really easy you know we just type a question into google or even just ask siri and we get an answer right away but the kind of learning that i have been doing with karmita is not like that it's not a question and an answer it's it's Many, many repetitions and observations. And because what's happening to me is a change on the cellular level in the way that I relate to myself, to the elements, to others in general, the way that I relate. And that kind of change on a cellular level happens from doing things over and over and. At sitting all night and observing the fire, not just once or twice, but many times, and not necessarily with a goal, not necessarily because I am hoping for a particular result, but rather for the experience of doing it, for the pleasure of the experience of doing it. And what I receive from that, that's a wonderful bonus, but not necessarily the purpose for which I am sitting there. So with particular regard to cycles, the... World, nature is cyclical. The universe operates in a cyclical fashion. There are many different cycles that basically govern our lives. For women, we have the beautiful opportunity to experience these cycles in the most personal way through our monthly living of the menstrual cycle. Because if we stop and we look at the menstrual cycle, we can see that the four stages of the menstrual cycle are parallel to the energies that are present in the four points that the sun crosses during the course of the day. The the sunrise, the peak of the midday, the late afternoon and sunset, and then the night. We see that those four stages are also mirrored in the energies of the directions, the east, the south, the west, and the north. We see those four stages mirrored in the stages of our lives, birth and childhood, puberty and adolescence, adulthood, and then eventually elderhood and death. We see those four stages also being mirrored in the seasons. The birth and beginning of springtime and the peak and heat in the summer. Then the release and death that happens in the fall in order to make space for the full dark time of the winter to bring again the rebirth in the spring. And those cycles, which are all basically the same cycle, that's the basis of life. It's the basis of life, human physical life. We all exist because of the health of our mother's menstrual cycle. Period. No pun intended. No matter how your life might have been created, even if it was created in a laboratory through IVF, originally the egg that was the beginning of your life came because of the health of a woman's menstrual cycle. And so... We all recognize the essence, I hope, we all recognize the essence of that cycle as the essence of the origin of life. And the same is true for all those other cycles. We live and breathe the cycle of the seasons, the cycle of the course of the sun throughout the day. This is the basis of life. And so when we can start to reflect on, understand, engage, and and understand on a physical level, on an embodied level, not necessarily on a mental level, but engage with those cycles, then we are engaging with the essence of life. And That's very beautiful. And then, if we take it to the next step, naturally, we're going to celebrate different elements, different moments in those cycles because they're worthy of celebration. Springtime has come, let's dance, and so on. And and that's the kind of education that I've received from Karmita. There are obviously many, 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 many details, but working with her, listening to her, has helped me cultivate the kind of attention that allows me to engage through the totality of all of my senses with the universe and with the way that the universe can teach me and what I can learn from what the universe is offering.
1: Naomi, it causes me to think, cause I know that we both had very Western education and jumped through all the hoops and did all the things and what you were left with is a head full of facts. <laughs> (laughs) And what I find like in my own personal exploration is like the lack of embodied wisdom, which is what you're talking about through your exploration with Karmita. And I've also had similar experiences with my teachers. You know, I want to get a little meta for a second, you know, where we're moving into this new time and we're still teaching in this old way, you know, getting people to memorize facts and do all this kind of stuff, at least in the United States, it's definitely the main way of educating people. So if you were to like design a school or think about a new new way to educate young children to be these embodied leaders that we need in these times to understand the seasons and to honor their bodies and all of these different ways of being what would you what would you suggest in terms of changing the education system
0: thank you so much for asking that question because actually I'm a teacher that's the origin of my my work my manifestation of my gifts and bringing them into the universe. I taught middle school and high school for a bunch of years and now I teach workshops and do all those kinds of things but I also still work in the mainstream education system in specific ways developing curriculum and consulting for schools and especially for girls schools. And so I think about these questions all the time and I am particularly thinking about these questions now after we are finishing up a year where almost you know now some schools are back in in person learning but basically kids learned through computers if at all this year and we saw the things that worked and we saw the things that that didn't work and we understand that education needs to take a totally new form both because we're really lacking in true embodied education and also because we see that the world is changing and so i wouldn't actually have thought to bring up this particular aspect of my work if you hadn't asked the question so thank you that's really really Fortunate, and I am very grateful. We need to focus on an education of the senses. We need to focus on creating opportunities for people, all people of all ages, to engage with one another, with the universe through. of our senses. And there are specific things that we can do in order to make that happen, many different kinds of specific things. And part of that also can look like the complete evolution and revolution of our education system. For example, it's a really powerful experience for a young child, for anyone, but especially for a young child to sit in front of a fire. Obviously it's fun and people enjoy it, but also the when we sit in front of a fire, we have the opportunity to see the different colors of the flames, the way the flames are dancing with one another. We have the opportunity to smell the smoke and the different smells that are coming from the fire. We hear the music that the fire is sharing. We feel the warmth. We witness the power of transformation because without using any words to describe what's happening, you see that the wood that you place in the fire is turning into light and heat. And depending on the purpose of that fire, maybe you're using it to cook. So in that case, the food that you have placed on the fire is also transforming so that you can eat it and digest it well. And when you eat it and digest it, your body is doing the activity of transformation as well in order to absorb what's needed and to excrete or secrete whatever is not needed. And all of this understanding becomes clear through the physical experience of looking at a fire, eating some food that was cooked on it, and then going to the bathroom. We don't need to talk about it. We just need to do those kinds of things. We do them all the time anyway. But so that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about education of the senses. I'm talking about an education that gives us the opportunity to have the experience of sitting outside just for the pleasure of sitting outside and observing what's going on. And I'm not talking about sending kids off on a vision quest or something like that, but for them to have the opportunity to just sit, and observe for a few minutes. These elements, and there are many, many more, bringing these kinds of small activities into the school system as it is right now is revolutionary. And what I'm really striving for is is to create a place where that's happening all the time, that all of the education, it looks like that, is engaging the totality of the senses in order to be able to really educate
1: full human beings. I love that because that's a school I wanna keep going to. This is school I want to keep going to today. I mean, it's like we're so infatuated with technology because of this instantaneous everything, this like response so quickly. And it's terrible for the nervous system. I've noticed it in my own experience. So that leads me to the work you do with women. What is What is your vision? You know, you're doing this beautiful work with the cycles. And I believe you do other work as well. Maybe you can elaborate on this. But what is your vision for our future and how we can get there through these different kinds of learnings?
0: I envision a world where we embrace the, the uniqueness of being women. We understand both on an intellectual level and also on a deeply personal physical level that being a woman is very different from being a man or any other gender. And that in the embracing of our uniqueness, we are able to cultivate the different qualities that we carry and that we bring to any situation and particularly to situations of leadership. And then the question is how do we get there, right? How do we have an experience that allows us to really embrace our gender differences, to really say I am excited and happy to be a woman and I want to, I'm growing from that place, I'm leading from that place. So that's the vision on the on the lo- on the the global level. And of course that manifests in definitely seeing more women leaders, but also seeing all of our leaders embrace the balance of the masculine and the feminine inside of ourselves. Everyone's life started, no matter how, no matter where all of our lives started because of the union of the sperm and the egg, because of the coming together of the masculine and the feminine. And everything is comprised of this, these dual energies dancing together. And when we honor that, then we can live in relationship with that duality and work with it and so that's the vision that i have on the on the global level on this on the smaller level for my kind of what i'm personally bringing forward in the work that i'm doing cultivating a community of women who are speaking a language of our relationship to our bodies and our relationship to our cycles and our relationship to the elements and through that community of women also a community of all genders because we I work with women because it's easy and because we have this extra special key that is the menstrual cycle that allows us to understand. But I work also with men because we live with men and that's part of our life. We live with people of all genders. And so we need to be in relationship with one another and certainly there's work that we do as women that's our work and that work echoes far beyond the community of women that we're a part of. And the but when I think specifically about that community about my vision for the community of women that I'm working with, for us to to be in dynamic, loving relationship with our bodies and for the possibility of the wisdom that we carry already inside of ourselves to come through for us to be fully aware of it because we are in dynamic, loving relationship with our bodies.
2: I love this because When we have relationship to our bodies, we have relationship to the cycles and the elements and therefore our earth. And what I get from everything that you're bringing forth from child education to the women's leadership work that you do, it's all about being in connection and relationship to the elements of the earth, ourselves, and therefore each other, which leads me to ask the question, what do you see in the world regarding the disconnection? And how do these practices of connecting with the elements and connecting with ourselves and really trusting the innate wisdom of our bodies, how does this help shift some of these systemic issues that we see in the world happening?
0: So, Karamita says, and I agree with her, there is no disconnection, there is only lack of attention. There, it, it's not possible for us as humans to be disconnected from the fire, the earth, the air, the water, because we are comprised of these elements and the universe in which we live, even if it's a complete, concrete jungle, is comprised of these elements. And so the question is more, how do we open the communication or how do we open our own eyes and ears to the relationship that we have with the elements and through that relationship with everything? So. In terms of this question of connection or cultivating connection or deepening connection or opening, for women, the easiest way for us to open this door is through our relationship to our cycles, for us to understand what's happening in our cycles, to understand what what's happening in our bodies, not necessarily on a super deep level, but just on a basic level to be able to be aware of, of what's going on. and to be able to feel the relationship between the cycle that we live inside of our bodies and the other cycles that I mentioned earlier that happen around us. I teach a course where we look at that, where we walk the medicine wheel. We look at the different stages of the cycle and the different stages of the map of the cycle in relationship with the other maps that I talked about, the directions, the course of the sun throughout the day, the seasons, the stages of our lives. And then we, and we look at that also in relationship between masculine and feminine. And through that work, we're developing a shared language. It's not a language that I have invented. It's a language that many women speak about our relationship to our bodies. But the thing that has happened is that instead of being initiated into this kind of relationship with our cycles, into this kind of relationship with our bodies, we're initiated into a relationship that is often not really harmonious. I can say about myself that when I was around 12, in the peak of puberty, and my body changed, and when I was 13, I started to get my moon. I was dancing, ballet at the time. You know, I didn't look like the other girls in my classes who were super, super skinny, and I felt not very good about my body as a result of that. And so, in effect, at that age, my body and I had a divorce, except for it was a very unpleasant divorce because we continued to live together. We continued to hang out together all the time and not in a relationship of mutual love and respect. And only later in my life, when I started to really engage with the kind of work that I was talking about earlier, and particularly work of listening to my cycle and paying attention and also retreating during my moon time, a very deep work that I did under Carmita's guidance then I was able to heal the relationship with my body, which still isn't fully healed. It's a wound that I continue to carry, and I think that, unfortunately, many of us carry that wound. And it, there are many, many reasons. I'm not sure that it's necessarily worthwhile to get into all of those kinds of reasons, but one of the reasons is because the education that we receive around the menstrual cycle is uh, about, you know, We don't want to talk about it it's taboo you see instead of you know seeing blood on commercials for different products we see this horrible blue liquid and just now in the past few years have we started to see more imagery that actually is relatable for women but actually the essential message that you have this cycle so that you can become pregnant and have a child that message we need to to just take it apart because it's not true we have this cycle for many 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 other reasons and and much deeper understanding of our relationship to ourselves and to life than just the possibility of having a child. Obviously our fertility is a part of it, but that also begs the question what is fertility? It's not just about becoming pregnant, it's about many different elements of again our relationship with life. And so when we think about healing the relationship that we as women have with our bodies, I think it's really important for us to think about the cycle as a positive thing as a really important key for our own education of ourselves and of the girls around us, be they our da- our daughters or our stepdaughters or our goddaughters or just girls who live in our neighborhood. But to be in a positive relationship with our cycles because of the miracle that they carry and because of all of the information that we have and this disconnect that capitalist culture has imposed on us of separating us from our cycles has separated us from one of our key ways of reading the universe, of understanding what's
2: happening around around us. It's so interesting because it's not only capitalism that has separated us. You also said in the beginning, the religion and the intermediary between us and spirit. It's a a similar type of wounding throughout the ages that has separated
1: us.
0: Capitalism and religion are very good friends.
1: Well, I always think about it. It's like, well, you have like politicians, governments, and then companies, and there's like these power structures all competing. It's crazy. I looked up the blue liquid and I totally forgot. And So many of the commercials, they put that nasty blue liquid in the thing. So I was kind of laughing when you mentioned that because of course we were like afraid of our own bodies and what was happening. I remember feeling so much shame. My mom thought she was dying when she got her period because no one educated her. And can you imagine? You just, it just happens one day. (laughs) And so it's like we also carry that wound as women if, you know, your mother didn't know how to educate you correctly because she wasn't educated. And there's definitely like a returning to that I see more and more happening in this time. But of course, it's not even throughout the world. I know there's still many places in the world where women are not getting educated around this.
2: In relationship to this transformative time with things changing very rapidly. What do you see and feel is something that we women can do to aid the evolution and awakening and reconnection of our planet?
0: A few things that I would suggest. First of all, for everyone as human beings, but especially for women, an embodied practice. Something that you do because you feel alive in your body, and that whatever it is for you, maybe you enjoy yoga, maybe you enjoy running, swimming, walking, dance, whatever it is, some kind of embodied practice that you engage with every day for a significant amount of time, you know, half an hour to an hour, except for the days that you're bleeding, during which you allow yourself to rest. And experience also that difference of engaging in embodied practice, and then also giving yourself space for rest. So that's number one. The second thing that I would suggest is just being aware that the time of bleeding is different from the other, all the different stages of the cycle are different, but the time of bleeding particularly has an energy of quiet, has an energy of rest. I don't think that necessarily everybody could go and take all the time of all the days of her bleeding and, and be in solitude. I also don't recommend doing that. I think if you want to do that kind of work, it's really important to do it under the guidance of somebody can really support you because that work is really intense um and and important to have a container in which to do it it's not just an individual work and so i'm not saying necessarily to do that but yes to to notice my rhythm is maybe a little bit different during this time it's okay if i don't do things as quickly as I did before. It's okay if I feel like I need to eat specific foods or wear specific clothes that are more comfortable or just rest more. But to give ourselves permission to take that time and rest. The And, and I say that because with specific regard to this time, we're witnessing, particularly in the year of the pandemic, we witnessed a full global slowdown that most people said thank you for that most people said wow i finally got time to just take it easy in the morning or to spend more time with my kids or to actually listen to what my partner is saying to me People have been very grateful for the space that this year has allowed, even though it's been challenging in many ways. And that is a reflection, again, that brings us back to the origin, to the coming together of masculine and feminine, to the coming together of the energy of the sperm, which is the energy of the arrow, the energy that is very focused towards achieving a goal, together with the energy of the egg, which is the representation of the cycle, the energy of the circle. The circle also has moments of peak and of activity, but it also has moments of rest. And so giving ourselves just even an hour during the multiple days that we're bleeding to just sit down or lay down and relax and take time to ourselves is a revolutionary act unto itself, not to mention a gift for us in our lives. The last thing that I would say is to engage in small crafts of the hands. Whatever speaks to you. I personally really enjoy embroidery, so I do that, but each each of us has her own way of expressing herself. It's, it's part of our nature to create art. It's part of our nature as humans to create art. And particularly for us, for women, the small activity of the hands quiets the mind. And so it takes us, even for a brief moment, outside of our neurosis and our crazy, unrelaxed mental energy and gives us again just a little bit of space to rest and to breathe so I can sum them up if we want but the three tools that I would say for everyone right now to understand and respect that our cycle is important and that particularly the days of bleeding are a time that is asking us to rest and to be more calm to have an embodied practice that allows us to live in our bodies to feel the power of living in our bodies every day except for the days that we're bleeding and to do small crafts of the hands work of the hands will help us think a little bit less and just be present with the art that we're
2: creating oh it sounds delightful
1: all of that well it's revolutionary even at least it was revolutionary to me to even learn about the different phases of the cycle and how it related to my energy levels and my desires and i now schedule meetings more around like my summer phase and i find i have tremendous amounts of energy versus like right now, where I'm more in like a winter phase. And it's crazy how different the phases are and that I'm putting my attention on them. I feel like it's even more so. And I'm not sure if that's even a real thing. Mm
2: -hmm. So Naomi, is
1: there anything more you'd like to
2: share before we ask you our final question?
0: So I teach a course called Observing Our Cycles, which is a journey through this map of the cycle and through the different maps of the cycles of nature that we talked about earlier, where we are able to explore our own understanding of each of these different phases. And it's not a fertility awareness method course. It's not a course about coming up with some way to capitalize on the energy of the different phases of our cycles. It's a course that helps us cultivate our skills of observation and attention, both to the cycle that we live inside of our bodies and the cycles that live outside of our bodies. So. Ironically enough, it's a virtual course, but it happened in, it was born in a really natural way because in the beginning of the pandemic I started, I gave a few talks about this subject and hundreds of women came. And I understood that there's a real thirst for deepening this knowledge. And so I really invite everyone to visit our website and to come and join the course.
2: So at Global Sisterhood, we talk a lot about women rising as new paradigm feminine leaders. And since your work is all about women's leadership, I'm curious what you think about women's leadership and its impact on the world and what it really means to be a female leader leading the feminine way.
0: Thank you for that question. What you said earlier, Shana, about your relationship to yourself in, in a Western context and kind of taking on these various man-like qualities or masculine qualities and how that impacted the way that you bring your gifts into the universe really resonated with me because I was raised by very powerful women in a super matriarchal family and had strong role models in both of my grandmothers and my mother who all were not only the leaders of their families, but also leaders in their communities, each one in her own particular sphere of of what she did. I even my grandmother, my grandma Dorothy, I loved both my grandmothers very much, but my grandma Dorothy was a specifically outspoken woman and a really strong example. And she would say to, she, this is my mom's mom, she would say to me and to my sister and also to my mom and really to anyone, don't be modest, be proud of your accomplishments. And she would share her accomplishments with us. She found out that the way that you could get a book purchased by your local library, she was an avid reader. She read almost until she died when she was 99. She read the newspaper almost every day and she found out that if someone requests a book twice or two different people request a book in their local public library then the library will purchase the book and so she recruited various friends of hers and kept requesting different books her thing was to grow the Judaica section of the library and so she did and every time I came to visit her in Florida she would take me to see it and this is the library you know so you're supposed to speak quietly but she didn't hear very well and so she didn't speak quietly and she would know me look and would show me the section in the library that she had basically grown because of her efforts and this is how she operated and this is the legacy that I come from I didn't realize until later in life when I started working as an educator that girls most girls don't receive those messages don't be modest you know we, we receive lots of other messages which is a conversation perhaps for another podcast but I had those kinds of role models and I still embodied certain qualities that were really not natural to me as a young woman because I saw that those qualities were what made people successful. In my case, it was particularly the intellectuality, really embracing my my intellectual smarts and bringing that forward as, as my thing and my way of succeeding. And the return to listening to my embodied self has been an essential element of my return to myself and also of my recognition of what feminine leadership is for me. I think it's different for different people. I don't think that there's one thing or four things that I can say these things define feminine leadership. But I do think that we carry a particular wisdom that comes through our bodies that we need to listen to and share. And that is what helps us be the kind of compassionate leaders that really see the needs of many different people and that allow for us to work to meet the needs of all of those different people, to be to be able to listen to them. And so I don't want to give a list of what the qualities of feminine leadership are, but I do recognize that the experience of embodied leadership is one that we carry and is one that's really important to, I think, the essence of who we are as women. If we think about a time of feminine leadership rising, I think it has a lot of different manifestations. I think that it has a manifestation of actually physically seeing more women in positions, high level positions, particularly in government, but not only, and for those role models to be there. I think it also means recognizing and understanding that that's not necessarily for every woman, right? The whole concept of lean in creates a lot of pressure. It doesn't necessarily give us the space to live the lives that we naturally live as women. We naturally take care of our families, whether you have kids or not. Your family might be your nuclear family inside your house, but it might also be the family of your community. And it's a really natural thing for us to hold space, to contain, to help bridge relationships, to help deepen relationships. And that's the work that we do. And I hope to see more space for that kind of work, certainly among women leaders and also among all leaders of all genders. Because we all carry this element of femininity inside of us, no matter how we identify. How can we bring that forward? How can we listen to that aspect of ourselves? And how also can we pay attention to what the elder women are saying? If you are in a position of leadership, how do you listen to the generations that came before you? In order not to make the mistakes that they made, in order to bring their wisdom to the forefront, how do we recultivate a culture of listening and sharing among the generations, and particularly with respect to our elders, in order to have a more whole leadership. So when I think about feminine leadership, I'm thinking about a more complete leadership, one that engages many different aspects of the totality of ourselves, the harmonic dance that is the masculine and the feminine together inside of each of us and outside of us.
2: Mm. Amen. A woman. Aho, hi, That was amazing. Thank you. It's good to hear that because sometimes you get on one like that and then
0: you're like, what did I just say?
2: Sometimes we're facilitating <laughs> and I'm sure women can relate to this. Sometimes we're facilitating and we start speaking and then we kind of black out. <laughs> we're like, what, what did I actually say? I don't even remember. Did it even make sense? And I love that because that's that embodied flow. It's just the trusting and the flowing and i think there's more need for that less polished more need for that authentic just opening our hearts to to speak what's here what's true what's
1: present so naomi this leads us to our our final question and we love to ask if you were to speak as the divine mother to our audience what would she guide you to say
0: i don't know if i could presume to speak as the divine mother but if i listen to her and i hear what i think that she is saying to me that I could share with you. I think that it's a very simple invitation to authenticity. I think that we are ongoingly asked as humans to be authentic and to be real and to share our real selves and not be afraid. It's very easy for us to be fearful of others. It's also very easy for us to listen to the messages, especially political messages that are especially now telling us to be afraid of others and creating an otherness. And when we live in our authenticity, when we speak from our hearts, then that is what we receive from the people who are listening to us. We receive them speaking from their hearts. The more vulnerable and authentic we are, the more willing we are to be naked emotionally, the more we receive that kind of authenticity from the people around us. And so that's the message that I feel coming through today.
1: Thank you, Naomi. It's been such a pleasure.
0: Thank you. It's been a real joy.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine podcast. It was such an honor to interview Naomi Katz. To learn more about her, you can go over to her website at naomikatz.com. To learn more about the work we do at Global Sisterhood and the upcoming facilitator trainings that we offer, you can head over to our website at globalsisterhood.org. It is such an honor to be on this journey with you. And if you've been enjoying our podcast, please go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time.